I recently did a full case analysis on the disappearance of Kevin Flight in case episode 10, titled Kevin Flight, The Bus Trip That Never Ended. If you have not listened to, watched, or read the case analysis here on YouTube, Medium, or on our podcast, The Missing Found, I recommend you refer to the case on either platform to listen to it in full to understand my direction and ideology in this video. This is the Missing Found Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Harlow. Before we get into the case, I have a few details to share about the show. The Missing Found is a true crime podcast focusing mainly on unsolved missing person cases in the Black community. The cases that I cover have either gone cold, have little to no media coverage, or have gone without conclusion. You can follow the show on Instagram at The Missing Found or on Medium at The Missing Found to read our original script. I also would like to mention that we have a case suggestion form in the show notes or description box that you can complete to submit your case suggestions that are of the Black and Missing. We have a Patreon that's now available for you to become a member in our private community to discuss cases deeper beyond our case analyses through live discussions, ad-free episodes, gain complimentary access to our original script, early releases, and bonus content, and much more that's exclusive for members only. The show is now available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. I ask that you please like, share, and subscribe, and comment to share your thoughts on today's case. This is Case Episode 10, The Disappearance of Kevin Flight, exploring the possibility of retaliation. I think we all can agree that this case is odd. Kevin left police custody after being released on January 27, 2022, driven to a Greyhound bus station, and just vanished. There has been no trace of Kevin on record. The only thing we have is just officials at FCI Gilmer in West Virginia, which is operated by the Federal Bureau of Prisons, say that he was dropped off at 6.30 a.m. at the entrance of the Greyhound bus station in Charleston, which is about an hour and a half drive from the prison set the bus station. As discussed in my case analysis on Kevin's disappearance, I stated that an alternative means of transportation should have been scheduled for him due to his health issues from the stroke extremely limited verbal communication, his cognitive issues, and physicality of having his two arms paralyzed. But due to the lack of communication on the prison side, allegedly, that never came about. Let's just say that he did actually get dropped off and something just went wrong. I think I'm just going to say it. Was Kevin's disappearance the result of retaliation from someone because of the murder that Kevin may have committed by strangulation of Paul McClure on February 5th, 1994? What landed him in prison? If you remember from my analysis, you would know that Kevin ended up in prison because the jury found him guilty of robbery and murder of Mr. Paul McClure of Washington, D.C. I posed the question. Could he have done this by himself or partially since he had a paralyzed left arm? Now, I can't confirm exactly how much his left arm was paralyzed, to what extent, 
and his actual diagnosis. But I would imagine it would not be easy to strangle then rob someone with just one functional arm. However, it is not impossible. Now, I'm not alluding to him not being involved or being involved, whether he was or not. He was convicted, sentenced, and served most of all his time. I just want to go back one level to the beginning to maybe formulate a correlative possible motive behind what happened the day he went missing on Thursday, January 27th. It is a stretch because we don't have no idea where he is today. A year and three months later, nor do we know if there was an accident or someone involved. I have some information on the case from February 5th, 1994. I was able to access some archives from the actual report in the Washington Post. It's very brief, but it is something to go off of. I did this so I can get a better understanding of what exactly happened and who the victim was. February 1994. The victim, Paul McClure. Well, Paul K. McClure was born in St. Louis, and he and his family relocated to the D.C. area when he was a child. Paul was raised in Arlington, Virginia, which is only minutes outside of D.C., and he attended Georgetown University. From there, Paul started his career as an archivist with the National Science Foundation. According to Wikipedia, an archivist is an information professional who assesses, collects, organizes, preserves, maintains control over, and provides access to records and archives determined to have long-term value. The career path of an archivist is typically associated with museums and universities. However, they may also find employment at large corporations or government institutions. Later, at age 47, Paul excelled in his career and was a freelance editor and consultant in the development of electronic documents at the American Consulting Engineers Council. He worked with the organization for four years, since 1990, prior to his untimely passing. To give you an idea of the services they provide, the American Consulting Engineers Council, now American Council of Engineering Companies, provides services for all phases of planning, designing, and constructing projects. Paul also taught an editing course at the U.S. Agriculture Department Graduate School. As you can see, Paul was very successful in his career and things were going well for him, career-wise, until Saturday, February 5th, 1994. D.C. police responded to a call by a neighbor of Paul's. The police found Paul's body strangled in his Capitol Hill apartment. This lets me know that Paul most likely was strangled inside of his apartment. This is possibly where the robbery charge came in, with either a break-in, an enter, or Kevin or whomever went to Paul's door and went in after it was opened by Paul himself. I don't know because the article still is archived as it is showing that no arrests have been made. This was most likely because the case was still fresh and, just as it said, no arrests have been made at the time as it was still under investigation. And of course, there was an arrest. Kevin. I'm unsure if anyone else was arrested with him, but as far as we know, it was just Kevin. You know, reading about Paul's life, his career, and knowing partially the details, it just makes it even more disheartening for him and his family. 
Then you have this situation of Kevin, who was 24 at the time the crime was committed, served his time, got an early release, then just vanishes with very little to no coverage after being in the custody of prison officials. When I say no coverage, I mean just only one article that I've come across from major news or print outlets. The other articles are based off of that one article. No communication was made of his actual release date to coordinate transportation from FCI Gilmer to home in D.C., which I find strange, and I did express that in my initial analysis. Or it just could have been a flaw in the process. I've seen it many times. The possibility of retaliation. Then it makes me question if there was something planned as a means of retaliation. Sure, it's is just the thought. It has no merit to it, but it is something to consider. Paul's family had been through a lot, and Kevin's family is going through a lot, just as Paul's family is still today from the senseless loss. Two families are dealing with loss. I read that Mr. McClure's family was contacted for a response, but they did not offer any words, which isn't atypical. Also, I wonder did the McClure family know he was getting an early release? I'm sure someone communicated it or word got back to them. I say this because it's called victim's right to notice of prisoner's release. It allows victims or victims' families to receive a notification of release. There are certain crimes where you would receive such notification. Those crimes are murder, violent crimes, or sex crimes. That list is broad and can be dissected further. Now, all states have their own laws when it comes to the notifications, but this is something that the McClure's most likely knew of once the judge granted Kevin's release, or someone from the prison could have notified them that it is a possibility that he may be released once it was presented from his attorney. They most likely knew about Kevin getting an early release and possibly the day he was being released, but somehow Claire did not get this information. Whether it is you as the victim or your loved one, you will want to know when the person involved is being released. Oddly, no communication was given to his attorney, Claire Madel, until the day of him being released after he was released and stated that he should be arriving to Union Station in D.C. that evening. And that is from someone at the prison. The realization. Without going too deep, you know, things happen. People can retaliate, people are angry, hurt, and some people can make things happen without a trace. We know this. People can work with people, and it goes further than that, and more so than I probably would ever know. We have to look at this angle because here we have someone who was found guilty of a crime, a murder, and robbery. He gets out due to an early release, granted by a judge and just goes missing on the same day he is released from prison custody. Then, days leading up to his release, all communication from the prison just stopped when the attorney, Claire, made attempts to get in touch with someone there to arrange for his travels home. It's odd. It's too much to just be happenstance. On the day he gets released? The only time he is not in custody something like this happens? I'm sure Paul's family was not thrilled to know their relative's killer, if Kevin did actually commit the crime, was being released and did not serve the full 35 years. 
I don't want to overshadow this case with what landed Kevin in prison since he did serve his time and was outside of prison custody once he was supposedly dropped off at the bus station and is now a victim himself. But I do want to highlight what landed him in prison in the first place and how that may be a possible connection to his disappearance today. If he even made it to the bus station, and if he did, what exactly happened at Charleston or Cleveland? which was his first transfer point in his 18-hour bus travel from West Virginia to Washington, D.C. This could just be us looking too deep into the theory. It may not even be the case here. Maybe he just left out of the station or just got confused and could be at a hospital or in a shelter and has no idea where he is. But, from what I've read, those entities were looked into and no Kevin Flight. I do know one thing is for sure. Kevin did not just vanish. Something happened. Someone saw something. Someone was involved. Possibly. He could not communicate verbally. He was just released from serving 28 years in prison and left to navigate the outside world on his own for the first time in nearly 30 years, and his arms were paralyzed. Kevin would have stuck out. Though someone did claim to have seen him, and they say his ticket was used, But can we be sure that the person they saw was actually him? And was it him that used that ticket? Is the person a reliable source and who was it? Was there proof that they were there at the bus station? Did they know the McClure family? Why isn't anyone talking about this? Why isn't it garnering any media attention, especially under the circumstances in which he disappeared? This is another case that I would consider cold because this is a multi-state case since Kevin can be anywhere from Charleston to Cleveland. The last assumed location in the Cleveland bus station, and it's just not being talked about. What a perfect way to make something happen on the day he becomes a free man. I truly hope you are following along. I feel like there's more to this story and I can only go but so far. Despite his past, We can only look to the now, but then perhaps his past is what is responsible for his disappearance today. At the time of his disappearance, Kevin was 52 years old, African-American, stood at 5'7", male, weighed between 190 to 200 pounds, brown eyes and brown hair. Kevin was last seen wearing blue jeans, a gray t-shirt, in a Dickies-style navy blue zip-up jacket. Kevin has distinctive physical characteristics. He had a stroke five months prior to his release on January 27, 2022, has difficulty speaking, and can mostly answer yes or no to questions and paralyze or weakness in both arms due to the stroke and a prior car accident. I want to also mention that Kevin is not dangerous, nor is he a threat, and this was stated from his cousin, Michelle Royster. Kevin would be 53 today. If you have any information or leads in the disappearance of Kevin Flight, his current whereabouts, or any information concerning Kevin, it should be directed to D.C. Metropolitan Police Department Missing Persons Unit at 202-576-6768. You can also contact the Charleston Police Department at 304-348-6480. And lastly, 
Claire Madel, his attorney. Her number is 561-766-7170. And I also have an email address for Claire. It's cmadel at pdsdc.org. I have included the website URL for both police departments if you prefer to contact their departments through their website with any information. Thank you for your viewership of this continuation of Kevin's case. I would have included it in my original case analysis, but I had more questions that led me to this. I wasn't going to mention it, but it is a different angle. As you all know, as of now, but who knows in the future, I don't cover murder cases. But if it is a part of the case, I will include it. For Kevin's case, I wanted to delve further into the details to present all of the facts. Kevin may have been set up, though there is nothing to suggest that, but it is a different angle to consider when you look at the full scope of things. Until people start talking and sharing what they know, what they saw, or even who are involved, if there is even a third party involved, Kevin's case will remain open and unsolved. With my analysis, Hopefully his case won't go too cold. As always, please be safe, be vigilant, and always be aware of your surroundings. May God bless and keep you all. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Ecclesiastes 4.9